You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Mike Chappell, and it is another victory Monday in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, we're going to recap the Colts' win over the Jaguars. We'll discuss uh, takeaways from that game, and we'll check in on the Colts' playoff hopes as they inch another win closer towards the postseason bid. But before we get going here, Mike, how are you doing today? Alive and well, which is always the first box you check off on a Monday morning. Yeah, no kidding. On a Monday morning, Mondays are always made easier with the Colts win, so not a whole lot of news to get into today. Let's just go ahead and jump right into the recap here. Things got off to a great start for the Horseshoe Sunday. First play of the game, Jonathan Taylor gains 34 yards off the right side, but after first and 10 at Jacksonville's 12, the offense sputters. And the Colts would elect to kick a field goal on fourth and three to take an early lead. The Colts would force the first of many Jacksonville three and outs on their next possession. But the punt from Jacksonville is blocked by fourth-year linebacker Zaire Franklin, scooped up by third-year linebacker EJ Speed, who takes it 12 yards back to the house for a Colts touchdown, a quick 10-0 lead for Indianapolis. Uh, special teams came up big in this one. No bigger play than that block by Indy in the special teams touchdown gets them up 10 to nothing. After forcing another three and out, the Colts take over at their 47 and Jonathan Taylor would just carry the load on this drive. Uh, he would end the drive by powering his way into the end zone from four yards out for his 10th touchdown of the year, ninth rushing and the Colts extend their lead to 17 in what looks like is about to be a blowout. But the Jaguars would respond on their next drive. After finding Marvin Jones for 12 yards on third and 10, Jamal Agnew takes a handoff off the left side, 66 yards to the house. He outran Josh Jones for a touchdown. Uh, Jones, a safety who has signed up for the Colts, really playing his first significant snaps in this game. And there, it wasn't just Jones. There wasn't a single Colt who even got a hand on Agnew. 66-yard uh, touchdown. The extra point was missed, however, making it a 17-6 to lead for Indianapolis here, uh, still in the first quarter. Mike, things really from there went south for the Colts' offense because the next six possessions were three and outs, three by each team. Uh, on two of the drives, the Colts began their series with a penalty, which really set them back. Uh, that includes a holding call on Chris Reed that nullified a 32-yard gain by J- Jonathan Taylor on first down. After a quick start, Mike, the offense really struggled in this game. Yeah, I guess it's whether you want to point your finger at the Colts' offense for not executing or the Jaguars for making the adjustments uh, to, to slow them down. And we'll talk about it as we get through here. But Jonathan Taylor, what did he have, 93 yards in the first quarter? And you're thinking, I remember when he ran for 253 against these guys. But what really hurt his uh, opportunities, uh, you mentioned the holding penalty on Chris Reed, wiped out 30-some yards. When you don't sustain drives, you can't get your running game going. You just can't. So when you've got all the three announcements that they had, it just impacted the efficiency I thought Wentz had a really poor game. And for some reason, he insists on doing these 
left-handed passes or shovel passes that he's got to get out of his system. But a great start, you're thinking, like you said, blowout. Didn't turn out that way. Yeah, thankfully in this one, none of the left-handed shuffle passes or even right-handed shuffle passes, that can be scary sometimes. None of those ended up in Jaguars' fingers, but uh, they, they easily could have. Anytime Carson starts to put the ball in his left hand, that should be a red flag in his mind to just go ahead and eat it, throw it in the dirt, anything other than what he is about to do. But let's go ahead and pick things up here. About 5.22 left in the second quarter. Colts are driving into the red zone, but a Braden Smith false start on second and six sets the Colts back, and they will ultimately settle for a 29-yard field goal to make it 20-6 Indianapolis. After a couple quick punts, the Jags get the ball back at the Colts' 30 with 36 seconds left. A uh, pass to Dan Arnold and then a scramble by Lawrence sets up a long field goal attempt. And Jacksonville kicker Matt Wright would connect from 56 yards out to make it 20-9 to at the half. Jacksonville, Jacksonville gets the ball to start the third quarter and they drive into Colts territory. But an illegal blindside block call on Jacksonville gave them a first and 18 that they just wouldn't be able to recover from. The Jaguars try a field goal again, this time from 51 yards out, and it's no good. Colts take over in great field position at their 41, but can't do anything with it. They go three and out, and Jacksonville takes over after a punt, and they're again driving near midfield. But a quitty pay sack on first down set the Jaguars back, and they would ultimately have to punt themselves. Mike, Quiddy Pay had a big game in this one. Finally got his first career sack. You feel good for a rookie. And, you know, they really needed this sack at this time in the ballgame because Jacksonville, again, was driving and kind of had all the momentum at this point. Yeah, well, I thought when they, when they really made an effort, a concerted effort to get pressure on Lawrence, they really impacted him. He looked like a rookie. Uh, really some bad throws. But they, they, they forced him out of the pocket. He, he, he gained some yards on, hurt him a little bit on scrambles, but I'll take that any day, the way they contained him. Quiddy Pay, I tell you, he's done a really, really good job the last two or three games of almost getting there. I mean, I think he had five pressures against the Jets. I think you've, you've got on here that he was credited with eight uh, against Lawrence. And that those are great. They really are. But as I mentioned in one of the stories I posted, Edge pass rushers are known for sacks, not pressures. So it was good to see him finally get off the schneid on that. And he, I, I mentioned last week, he, he's been challenging Dwight Freeney with the almost sacks. The fact that he got one, again, there were a couple, he was credited with two other quarterback hits where he just laid into Lawrence. So I think we're starting to see what they saw all along with Quiddy Pay. If they get the rest of these guys, Dio, cranked up, Maybe they're getting their pass rush together at the right time because goodness knows with, with what's coming up, they need to put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna take a look at what's coming up in just a little bit. But now back to the recap. Third quarter winding now now, and the Colts still hanging on to an eleven point lead after starting at their own nine yard line. The Colts gained six yards on Jonathan Taylor run, fifteen yards on a Michael Pittman Jr. catch but then go backwards from there with a negative run, false start penalty, 
uh, and they would have to punt the ball once again. A lot of penalties for the Colts in key situations really hampered what they were able to do in this game. Fourth quarter now, Jacksonville with the ball, and the Jaguars would convert on third and 10 and third and 11 to find themselves at the goal line. James Robinson punches it in for the touchdown, and the two-point conversion attempt is successful when Trevor Lawrence finds Dan Arnold in the end zone. We have a 20-17 ball game with a little over 10 minutes left. This is a game that was 17 to nothing at once at one point. Uh, 20 to six at one point. Jaguars at this point in the ball game have scored 17 unanswered. And the Colts offense would once again struggle and kick their fourth straight punt. But the defense would step up here and for yet, force yet another three and out. We have about 728 to go in the fourth quarter. Colts offense would finally get something going. They go on an 11 play drive that took over five minutes off the clock. But an Eric Fisher holding call on second and nine from Jacksonville's 21 set them back. The Colts would settle for yet another field goal, this one from 37 yards out, and it would put them up six. We have a 23-17 game. Jacksonville needs a touchdown, and the Jags take over at their 25 with about 2.17 left in the game and two timeouts left. They drive into... They drive all the way to Indy's 46-yard line with about a minute left in the game. When on first down, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence is pressured. He tries to kind of escape and step up through the pocket. He's hit by DeForest Buckner and Deo Odangbo, who knocks the ball out. The Colts recover, and that'll seal the game. They just kneel, kneel it out for the final three plays. A score of 23-17. to 17. And the Colts have now won four of their last five ball games. Mike, this wasn't exactly how the Colts hoped to win the game, especially after starting 17 to nothing. But it was nice to finally see the defense close the game out when the offense is struggling. Uh, before we get into takeaways here, though, a couple injuries in this game. I saw Darius Leonard, Quiddy Pay, Quentin Nelson. They all left with what looked to be ankle injuries. They're all able to return to the game, so you know, hopefully nothing too serious. But do we have any updates on their on their injuries there? No, we'll talk to Frank Reich later in the afternoon, and he generally doesn't have updates. It's encouraging that they went back in, uh, but again, these were all these were all injuries that were aggravated prior injuries. Uh, Quiddy Pay had that ankle in, in training camp. In Quentin Nelson missed what was it three games with that high sprain to the right ankle, and Darius Leonard. That left ankles bothered him all season. I I will I'm I'm kind of expecting that all three will be limited in practice this week. This is where you're sort of into maintenance more than you are into the hard practices. So that was encouraging. One one thing I'll mention before we go too far on that last drive. It it I saw some criticism on Frank Reich that why are you kicking a field goal? Was it fourth and seven? Why not, you know, try to go for the juggler and make it a two-score game? But at least getting it to six, you force them to go for the touchdown, not the field goal. So, you know, it's just such a different mindset for an offense when you've got to go out there at the end of the game and you've got to get the ball in the end zone, just not get get the ball to the 20. So I, I, I would disagree with that. I think it was a smart thing to do. And it was really good to see the defense 
close the door. I, I realize the Jags aren't exactly a, an offensive juggernaut, but they've got they, you know Lawrence can make plays. Robinson's a quality back, and I think they had like was it seven three and outs. The defense did played great. So you know it, it's about finishing. There were no style points yesterday. It, it wasn't an attractive game at all, unless you're Zaire Franklin. Then he he might get that uh, a snapshot of that picture on a poster to put in his, his living room. But at this point of the season, you're not looking for style points. You're looking for for Ws. And that's why you take what you can get, and you don't care if people think it was ugly. It, it was ugly, but you've got to get Ws at this point in the season. Yeah, and there's, you know, obviously – any fan, any coach, I'm sure all the players wish they would have performed better, maybe gotten some style points against a team like Jacksonville. But, you know, the Jaguars are an improving team. This is They just beat Buffalo 9-6 to the week prior. So at least the Colts came out with the victory. And every team has those games where they just have to win ugly. I mean, not even the best teams in the NFL, they're not able to just steamroll every single one of their opponents. It was nice to see in a game where things weren't necessarily clicking and going right for the Colts that were still able to pull one out. The defense was really big in this one. Uh, I'll go ahead and just hop right into takeaways here. The defense really closed the game out. It's the first time all year we've watched the defense close a game out by getting a stop at the end where they really needed it. Uh, they forced a seven out on seven. They forced a three and out, excuse me. On seven of the Jaguars, 13 possessions. Uh, they really closed the door on their comeback attempt with the strip sack. That game-winning strip sack extended the defense's streak of at least one takeaway in a game to 11 straight games, which is the longest streak in the NFL, longest active streak, that is. Uh, and the Colts' 21 takeaways on the season is the second most Behind the Buffalo Bills, who have 24. We'll talk about the Bills in a minute because that's who the Colts play next. Per pro football focus, the Colts' defensive line combined to create 22 pressures. Quiddy Pay really led the way. He had eight pressures, a team high, per pro football focus. Uh, I'm sure, you know, last week PFF kind of gave Pay more pressures than the coaching staff did. Um, they weren't quite as generous as... Uh, pro football focus was so I'd be interested to see how many pressures the team gives quitty pay during film study but nonetheless he had uh, eight pressures on pro football focuses watch and got his first sack of his career he had the half sack there DeForest Buckner also had six pressures and a half sack uh, rookie Deo Adangbo the second round pick had a half sack and he stripped the ball from Trevor Lawrence there and how about defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth Three pressures and a sack. He's now tied on the team for second place in sacks with three uh, after he had two sacks against the Jets just one week ago. So Stallworth really turning it on and giving the defense uh, some extra juice, some extra help there in the pass rush category. Last player I'll highlight here on defense, Kenny Moore really led the way for a banged-up secondary he allowed just three receptions on eight targets for 10 yards and one first down. Uh, those numbers also, according to Pro Football Focus, more finished with three passes defended and five total tackles. So, Mike, you know, we've already mentioned this isn't this is far from the best offense the Colts will play this year. But I thought this was one of the more dominant performances 
that the defense has shown, probably this in the Houston game uh, where they held them to a, a goose egg, no points there. But that defense really showed up in a big way when, man, they needed to because the offense wasn't doing anything in the second half. Yeah, they limit the Jaguars to 5-15 and 15 third down conversions. And for the most part, kept kept things under control. They're not going to be happy about Eberfluss won't be happy about 179 yards rushing allowed. And I realize there was 66 on one play, but those plays count. That's like, you know, you just have to count everything in, into context. And uh, Agnew, you know, a wide out, three carries for 79 yards. But they gave up uh, James Robinson four point into carries. So I'm sure they're not going to be real happy about the, the, the run defense overall. I thought the pass defense was was solid. The three sacks and whatever the pressures were, again, pro football focus, their numbers are what they are. I, I believe they had, you said they had Quiddy with eight. They had him with nine against the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's that's sort of subjective on, on what a pressure is. But the fact remains, they, you know, Lawrence is 16 to 35, and he never got into rhythm. He sort of had two or three... Uh, chunk plays that made his day look better than it was. So we're, we're, we're always quick to criticize the defense. Let's give it their props when they close out a game like this. Yeah, no kidding. And, I mean, I, I guess the only other place you could put some criticism on the defense was uh, a quarterback that once again hurt them with his legs. Lawrence had 33 yards on the ground and had a – couple instances where it looked like, you know, he was about to go down in the backfield, was able to escape uh, and gain some yardage there. So that, that remains a, a weakness on this defense is accounting for mobile quarterbacks, but that's a weakness on most defenses because when you're covering, you know, the, the tight ends, the wide receivers out there, the last guy you really account for is the quarterback taking off and running. Um, so we'll give them a slide for that this week. Takeaway number two, special teams was special. Touchdown on the blocked punt on the first quarter. I mean, that was Dave's boy, Zaire Franklin, Syracuse's very own. I'll go, I'll go ahead and say it for him since he's not here on the Monday show. Uh, Zaire Franklin with the blocked punt. My boy, EJ Speed, scooped it and scored it. Uh, it was the Colts' first blocked punt since week 10 of last season at Tennessee when Speed actually blocked that one and TJ Carey returned it six yards for the touchdown. You may remember that big play from the Colts win in Tennessee last year. Um, and, I mean, those those seven points from that touchdown and extra point there were really the difference in this ballgame. The Colts won by six, so without that score, I mean, we might be looking at overtime, and who knows what happens from there. Uh, on top of the block punt, Michael Bagley was perfect. Three of three on field goals, along with 37. Two of two on point after tries. Bagley with the Colts now. Seven for seven on field goal attempts. His longest was from 42 yards out. And a perfect 19 from 19, 419 on PATs. Blankenship in 21 games with the Colts is 43 of 51 on field goals. That's 84%. And he's made 50 of his 53 extra point tries. Uh, now keep in mind with Blankenship, he had two missed field goals and a missed point after in the Ravens game where he played through an injury that he hurt during warm-ups. Uh, and he is one for four for his career from 50 yards out. His only kick 
um, from 50 or more yards is his career long of 53 yards, which he hit last December against Houston. So all that being said, Mike, is there a kicking controversy brewing in Indianapolis? We'll probably find out in the next week or two uh, because when we talked to Frank Reich last week, and I, I was a little surprised at the way Frank talked about, well, we're going to ride the hot kicker. Well, they're allowed to do that right now without any controversy because Blankenship's not ready to be activated. But what happens when that hip's healthy and he's ready? Do you still ride the hot kicker or do you go back to – is it the, the tried and true NFL, you know, unwritten rule that you don't lose your starting job to an injury? Uh, be very interesting to see. But but again, Frank's comment last week just kind of struck me to where I it, he's not one to send messages to players uh, to Blankenship. I I just don't see that. But how do you turn away from a player who's who's done exactly what you want him to do? maybe a notch better than what the other guy has. Again, there's a reason, you know, for, for the misses against Baltimore uh, because of the injury. But uh, we'll see if, if Blankenship's ready this week. If so, what do they do? Uh, I tend to think they're going to they're gonna go back to Blankenship. But, but until that happens, he's probably tearing up some Lego structures in, in, in his uh, family room. Yeah, I, I bet, you know, I'd hate to say Blankenship is rooting against the Colts, but if Bagley misses a kick in the next week or two here before Blankenship is back, I don't think he'd be all that upset about it. I mean, you know my stance, Mike. I, I personally would love to see my boy Hot Rod get that job back. But uh, more than anything, I want the Colts to have a good kicker. So if Bagley ends up being that guy uh, for Indianapolis and he's, Truly better than Blankenship, so be it. I'll take, you know, I got respect for the specs, but if uh, the money badger wants to step in and uh, remain the Indianapolis Colts kicker, he can do so as long as he keeps kicking like he has been. I will also say it's not like Bagley's attempted a very long or difficult kick yet. I mean, what was it? What did I say? 42 yards, 43, 42 yards. This is long. Uh, which you know, Blankenship's usually money from that kind of distance himself. So it's well, the, not like... the only thing. The only thing about the forty-two yarder, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the the driving rain in Frisco against Frisco. But no, I, I was thinking yesterday that if we've got a kicking, you know, controversy brewing, the the, the lack of the offense finishing really helped Bagley because he was kicking relatively short field goals. But uh, th- th- this is something they'll have to address. When Blankenship is healthy, whether that's this week or next week, but uh, that's the one—that's the one position, one of the positions you have to be right with because every time that guy goes out there, there are points on the line. So you just let's go back to the Buffalo playoff game. You know, the open up the third quarter and he, and he misses a field goal that really set him back. So uh, Blankenship, so. Uh, Again, you, you, you want to not have a guy lose his job for injury. At the same time, how do you turn away from a guy that's doing exactly what you brought him in to do? I'm sure this will remain a topic of conversation as long as uh, both guys are signed to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, next takeaway from the game here, Mike, that run game really cooled off after a hot start. Jonathan Taylor in the first quarter had 10 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. The final three quarters, he had 11 carries for just 23 yards. He still finished with 100 yards on the day, 
He had 116 yards and a touchdown on 21 carries. He also led the Colts in targets, catching six of them for just 10 yards. So the Colts really went to him quite a bit in this game. Um, he got he broke his 20 carries, Mike. He finally got the 20 carries we've been begging for. Not exactly the uh, the turnout we were looking for or hoping with those 20 carries either. Um, and then they went to him a lot in the passing game, and it just really wasn't there. A lot of stuff underneath for this Colts passing game on Sunday that just really didn't work very well. Uh, Taylor's longest run was a 34-yarder on the game's very first play. Um, he does become... Just the fourth player ever to rush for a touchdown and have 100 yards from scrimmage in seven consecutive games. After Sunday, he now joins Larry Johnson, LaDamian Tomlinson, and Liddell Mitchell, who have all accomplished that feat. Uh, the, the record is Tomlinson and Mitchell, who have eight straight games. Hopefully, Taylor will be able to keep that up and tie that record on Sunday versus Buffalo and then break that record the next week against Tampa Bay. All right, uh, last really takeaway from this game, Mike, the passing game is going to need to step up versus Buffalo. They're not going to be able to perform the way they performed against Jacksonville and still get a W. Um, There were nine, there was a nine-possession stretch in that game where Carson Wentz and company managed just two field goals. They were forced to punt the other seven times, and five of those drives were three and out. That's just really unacceptable from, what, about the start of the second quarter through midway through the fourth quarter. The team really couldn't get anything done uh, going on offense there. Carson Wentz's streak of six straight games with multiple touchdown passes was snapped. It was the first time the Colts did not throw a touchdown since week three of this season when Carson Wentz was dealing with not one but two sprained ankles. Uh, Let's see, Wentz finished 22 of 34 for 180 yards, no turnovers, so that's good. Uh, He averages 5.3 yards per attempt. That is on the low side. And Mike, Wentz threw efficiently from a clean pocket, but really struggled otherwise. He was pressured 12 times in this game and completed only three of those 12 passes under pressure for 27 yards. That stat there. Uh, coming from pro football focus. So, Mike, the Colts offensive line, you know, after we had talked about it really rounding into shape the last few weeks, we saw the Colts offensive line, after a good start to this game, those rushing lanes really shrunk as the game went on, and they really didn't do a great job of protecting for Carson Wentz. Yeah, I I thought there were way too many shots on him. I think Allen had... uh... As far as the book, he's three three quarterback hits, and Brian had two. I thought Eric Fisher had a tough game. I think he's had problems with the really top pass edge pass rushers, which it sounds like well, they're they're really top pass rushers. You want, but that that's your job is to keep those guys away from your quarterback. And that again, there were too many times where when and I tell you, he only got sacked once. There were two or three once again where his nimbleness in the pocket uh, evaded or avoided sacks. So, I again, I thought the offensive line had been playing very, very well. Uh, not so much here. And whether you want to attribute that to the fact that it was Jacksonville and they, they always play these guys strong. They've got a strong 
defensive front, whatever the reason, you're going to face more of that in Buffalo. So it's, they've got to get this thing fixed in a hurry. Not say fixed, but, but straightened out in a hurry because whatever the problems were against Jacksonville, again, like I said, Buffalo's defense is like number one in virtually every meaningful category or, or top three. So uh, the it starts with the offensive line. There was a quote from uh, Ryan Kelly, the center, where about the, the the second half he said he said fortunately the defense carried our butts in the second half. He didn't use the word butts, but he 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 acknowledged the fact that the offense didn't do enough long enough. But like you mentioned earlier, this was a game where the defense sort of had to bail out the offense. Yeah, and one guy who bailed out the offense time after time was Michael Pittman Jr. He caught all five of his targets for 71 yards. Uh, Several of them were on third down, none more crucial than that one play with Carson Wentz rolling to his right, finding Michael Pittman Jr. I believe it was a 26-yard catch down the field, toe tap on the sideline. That was very nice. I know I did not mention that in the recap, but that was one of the bigger plays of the game. Mike, that, that set up that set up that that last field goal. It set up the field goal, absolutely. So Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, on top of that, I think he had at least one or two other third down conversions. Um, he was just big. I, I actually remember. I, I'm not sure if this stat still holds off after all the slate of games on Sunday, the Sunday night game. But during the broadcast, they were saying Michael Pittman Jr. leads the NFL in receiving yards on third down. So Mike Pitt has been clutch for this team all year long, continued to do so on Sunday. Uh, the next leading receiver was Jack Doyle with just 31 yards. T.Y. Hilton uh, caught just one of his five targets for five-yard gain. Colts really hoping for more out of the ghost. But uh, you know what, Mike? I- I'll take it as a positive. T.Y. left the game without an injury, which is the first time this has happened this year. So the Colts, knock on wood, will have them next week going into Buffalo. Any other takeaways you have from this game, Mike? No, again, sometimes you just have to win ugly. And, you know, Buffalo lost ugly two weeks ago, 9-6 to six in Jacksonville. You know, which side would you rather be on? So, uh, you know, again, we're at the point now, and we'll get into it briefly – this is when you – we're going to know in the next two weeks who these guys are. You know, it, it just, we just are with, with Buffalo and Tampa, and this is either a playoff team or it's not. And we'll find out very quickly. They're, they, they, they've, they've gotten rid of all their margin of error. They, they've, they've squandered those with losing at Baltimore and Tennessee uh, in Indy. So we're going to find out an awful lot about these, this, this team in the next two weeks. We sure will. The Colts, moving on here, let's take a look at the AFC South and the playoff picture. The Colts advance to 5-5 five and five after that ugly win over the Jaguars. The Jags dropped to 2-7. and 1-8 Houston was on a bye this past week. And the Titans just keep winning. They advance to 8-2 and two after a 23-21 win over the New Orleans Saints. They currently have the top spot in the AFC. So let's look at that AFC playoff picture. And the number one seed is Tennessee at eight and two. Second is Buffalo at six and three. They just coming off a win over the Jets. Third is Baltimore at six and three. Fourth is the Kansas City Chiefs at six and four. And those are the four teams who are leading their divisions. 
taking a look at that wild card spot where the Colts are going to have to find their way into the postseason. Uh, in that fifth seed is New England, who's six and four. They just stomped the Cleveland Browns 45 to seven. The Colts will host the Patriots in week 15. That will be a big game for the Colts' playoff hopes. In the sixth seed is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are five, three, and one after ending their game with Detroit in a tie. This was a game that they played without Ben Roethlisberger, who uh, is on the COVID list. And that final seed in the AFC for the playoffs currently belongs to the Los Angeles Chargers, who are 5-4. and four. They just lost to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, right on the Chargers' heels are Cincinnati, who's also 5-4. and four. They were on a bye this past week. Uh, currently ninth in the AFC. Las Vegas, they're five and four. They just lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, forty-one to fourteen. Their second straight loss. The Raiders definitely look like they're losing steam after a nice start to their season. Tenth is the Colts. The Colts are five and five, and then Cleveland Browns and Denver, who just lost to Philly, thirty to thirteen. Cleveland and Denver are also five and five. So when you look at this uh, uh, wild card lineup here. Mike, they're only a half game out of seventh place where the Chargers are five and four. Well, what's important really is it's in their hands. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not saying win out and you're in. That's just kind of crazy. But but you've you've still got New England on, on the schedule. You've got the Raiders on the schedule. So in, in Buffalo, like like we've we've said for the last few weeks. Whatever they do, they've got they've got to find a way to beat a Buffalo, a Tampa, or an Arizona, and then sort of you know, win these head to heads. Uh, I think Buffalo is going to be a tough a, a tough out in Buffalo, but again, the Colts had every chance to beat them last year in the playoffs. A player two, and they do. Tampa Bay, how do you figure these guys? They've been really good at home, not so good on the road. And Arizona they just lost to Washington. That, uh, that's you know, that's what I'm saying. And, and Brady looked very, very uh, mid-40-ish. And you know it's not going well for Brady when he has like two-minute post-game press conferences. I've been through some of those with him. And when he's not happy and doesn't feel like talking, he doesn't talk. But but the bottom line is you've got you've got teams that, that's in this mix that you're going to play. And, and at home, New England and uh, the Raiders here at home, uh, along with Tampa. So it's there for you. Uh, we can argue whether they're coming off of any momentum off of the Jack- Jacksonville game other than they've won four out of five. I like where they are. But, again, it's sort of going to be put up or shut up time in the next month, certainly the next two, two weeks, to see if this team can maintain uh, you know, relevancy in, in what Frank Reich said after the game. Somebody's going to get hot. Why not us? Uh, we'll see if in two weeks that he's still having that kind of uh, optimism. Yeah, you look at you know the the next several games here. We'll we'll be previewing the Colts game uh, at Buffalo. We'll preview that on Thursday, so look for that podcast to drop on Thursday. After that, the Colts are at home against the Buccaneers at Houston. That game's important because a tiebreaker for playoff seeding is your divisional record. So if the Colts can beat Houston and Jacksonville in their final two matchups and end 4-2 and two within the division, that will go a long way in winning some of these tiebreakers against other teams. 
you already mentioned, at home against New England. That's going to be a big one. Christmas Day at Arizona. Uh, you know, if Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins can come back, that's going to be a tough game as well. But it's probably one the Colts are going to need at home against Vegas. And then they finish the season at Jacksonville. I kind of think these next two games here against Buffalo and against the Buccaneers, the Colts are going to have to win one of those two games because it's it's going to be really tough to finish the season ripping off five straight. Um, we, we've both been saying for several weeks now that the Colts need to finish 10-7 and seven to make the playoffs, most likely. Um, I don't think the Colts can just lose to Buffalo and the Buccaneers in back-to-back weeks and then all of a sudden rip off five straight. So getting one win either against Buffalo or the Buccaneers will go a long way and giving the Colts kind of that leeway to lose one more game during the final stretch game. And I'll talk about on Thursday why I think the Colts have a better chance at beating Buffalo than I think they do at beating Tampa Bay. Um, But that's a discussion for Thursday. And that'll just about do it for us on the podcast today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. Follow Mike on Twitter at MChapel51. And follow the Colts Blue Zone Twitter at Colts Blue Zone, where we'll keep you updated and entertained throughout the week on everything pertaining to the Indianapolis Colts. And please, please, please download and subscribe. And if you have a little bit of time, you know what? Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. We surely appreciate it. That's that's the kind of stuff that keeps us going there. So from Mike Chappell, I am Joe Hopkins. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you Thursday.